Welcome to Built Brave. Driven women sharing their stories to show others what is possible for them. Because we were all born brave. I'm your host, Lo Wentworth, and this is Built Brave. Are you ready? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited for today's conversation. I don't know where we'll go. We're recording this on a Friday, and everyone has like that fun energy Friday for the weekend. And with that, LJ, take it away and let everyone know who you are and what you're about. Love it. Well, thank you for having me on the show. First of all, my name is LJ. That's what I go by, but my full name is Lissa Jackson. And my work is in digital marketing, email marketing, anything in the online space. I am the founder of ohelj.com and I help woman-owned businesses grow their digital presence. So basically, a lot of it is tech mindset. You'd be surprised. Like I say I do digital marketing. I say I help people with email marketing, but also just the mindset pieces that come up when we're trying to adjust to using technology, whether that's Zoom, like we're using on this podcast, setting up an email marketing campaign or whatever it may be. And that's my favorite way to serve people. Mm. So can you break that down for the listeners? Like what tech mindset really is and what your nitty gritty of it? Mm. So my expertise really is email marketing, but I love all of the different things. I mean, some people use the word funnels and we've got websites and how those connect to our email marketing and all like there is jargon. There's a lot of jargon in growing an online business or getting yourself out there, whether somebody listening to this is helping their company do that because they work a nine to five or they're trying to grow their own business or side business. But like, this is the literal analogy that I use when I'm trying to describe the mindset blocks that we have around technology and adapting to it and growing through it. I say, okay, you're telling me that you're not techie fine. Like I hear that a lot. It's like, I'm not techie. I don't know how to use technology. I hear things like I didn't grow up in an era where we use technology or, you know, we all have these stories around tech, but I say, okay, great. Understand you have four kids, you have things going on. It's hard to take time to learn technology and you just, you can't, it doesn't, you don't grasp it. I'm like, okay, I understand. But tell me this, you're not techie, but were you drivey? before you got your first car or did you learn how to drive, right? Were you already a mom before you had your kids or did you learn how to become a mom because you read books about when to feed your child and you know how to do all the things? And, and technology is really no different. It's we just have to break down the different parts and sometimes we need mentors and teachers who will help us get along that journey a little bit faster and that's where I come in. I'm really a life coach by trade, so I'm kind of secretly on the back end. I'm a certified life coach. I'm like life coaching you through the process of setting up your technology, right? Emails and whatever else you're using to grow your, your business. Mm. I love the analogy. Were you drivey? Were you mommy before you had, did any of that? <laughs> like, no. You weren't. <laughs> no. You, you learned. Can- conceptually maybe, but yeah, exactly. You learned. I know for me, the whole like back end and structure and taking the time to do that, that's the intimidating piece. But as for like technology, I'm like, no, give me, give me all the latest technology. I want to learn it. I want to know how to do it. Like I'll take hours just to learn and figure out how to do that instead of like, you know, setting it up the back end. I had an ex who was like, he, he was hardware and I was software. So he'd do all the wire things and I would do all of the things you would do after you plug in the wire things. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I do think there's a lot of like talk in our world right now. They're like, delegate the things that you're not strong at and like hire a VA and delegate all the things and just stay in your zone of genius. And I absolutely agree with all of that. I'm not saying I don't, but there is something to be said for just saying, you know what, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to believe I can do this thing. Because I think anybody listening, like we all have a dream, maybe it's to have a podcast like this one. Maybe it's to write a book. Maybe it's to speak on stages, have a business of your own that, you know, takes over your nine to five, like whatever it is, there's going to be technology in all of those things that you have to 
work on your mindset to get through and just say, you know what, if somebody else figured it out, I can figure it out too. It might take several hours. I might screw it up a bunch of times, but I can do this. Mm -hmm. And I'm very much like someone teach me to take me through the process. I don't want to necessarily delegate it out for someone to do because I do want to understand how they go together and the different components and walking it through. So it's kind of like basically goes to like the belief I don't want to be taken advantage of or someone thinks like I don't know what the hell I'm talking about when I'm like, yes, I know what the hell I'm talking about and what I'm asking you to do. I just don't want to do it anymore. (laughs) I mean, it makes sense. And honestly, I, I do offer like one-to-one coaching, but I really thought about this a lot, like exactly what you're saying. I definitely could have set up some packages where it's like, I build your funnel for you. I build your welcome sequence for you. I do the things, but that just to me, now there's a, there's people who need that service. Like you're already super successful, super busy. You have 18 kids in an eight figure business. Yeah. You should hire somebody else to do it for you. And there are lovely people out in the world who can do those things. They might be virtual assistants, whatever it may be. But like my model on the world is I would much rather empower you and teach you how to do it so that you're, you're in the driver's seat and you get to have your own creative input into the process because that's the way I like you prefer to learn and prefer to function. And so solo entrepreneurs are really my, my heart and people who have side hustles and people who just have dreams to build things. They're like not even dreaming of making a ton of money per se, but they want to start a podcast or they want to do something because that's just like what's calling their heart. Mm. Why do you love working with them for so so much? Why do I love working with like solo, solo entrepreneur, entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and small businesses? Um, I think it kind of goes back to that idea of we're always kind of coaching and helping a previous version of ourselves, right? And my my business, which is still at this point a side business, has just helped me in so many ways. There was a time when. Uh, when I was just out of college, I went to uh, school for business. I was working for Target, like Target, Target stores. And I worked for Target for three years and I was absolutely miserable. I was making okay money, right? Like I could pay all my bills and then some, I could do all the things, but I was working 80 hours a week and I was completely burned out and unhappy, crying every day. I mean, just like when people say job from hell, I hate my job. Like I was the picture of that. And I was not keeping it a secret either. Like all my friends knew I was miserable, but I just couldn't, couldn't seem to get out of that. And so what ended up happening for me, and maybe this is really the reason that I love serving through email marketing is I somehow i actually had to get an extension on the course because i was so busy and burnt out but i got my life coaching certification and i had a chance to speak with one of the founders of the life coaching institute that i went to and i remember him saying to me like you have to start an email list and he gave me he was like you have to use mailer light because it's the best and here's how you like start an email list and i was clue like completely clueless i had no idea how like how you even send an email Um, And so I started that process and I started teaching myself and that little nugget, like I wasn't even a good email marketer. Like I didn't have very many skills. That was the little edge that I needed to get my full-time job as an email marketing trainer for a software company that I now have today. And I actually just celebrated my two-year anniversary yesterday and I love my job. Like I don't have that antsy pantsy feeling of like, I just want to build a business so that I can escape, which has given me this beautiful freedom to say, I'm only building this business. Yeah. This business might eventually someday replace my full-time income as a nine to fiver, but I don't have that pressure on it. Instead, my business becomes this beautiful way that I can just show up in exactly the way that I want to, not because I need to pay the bills this month. And that's, that's totally freeing. Yeah, I can see it. Like you, you love email marketing. Even when we first met, like how many ages ago, 2020 is like seven year, billion years in <laughs> one, it feels like. like I could tell, like you just love email marketing. Yeah. I mean, and the funny thing is, is like, I, how do I put this? I do love email marketing and I've, I've really built a passion for it. But at the end of the day, I recently realized that my real passion is taking things that people overcomplicate and breaking it down in a way that's approachable. And email just happens to be one of those things that so many entrepreneurs are out there. They're like on their soapbox 
saying, build your email list and start an email list and do this and do, and they're not telling you like the steps or even how to get started with it. And they might not even have a program that helps you with that. They're just telling you should. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, let's, let's like break this down for those solo entrepreneurs, for those small business owners who are hearing that message, but not getting the resources they need to do it. So that's where the passion lies. Now I could probably do that with anything right now. I'm, I'm building a course that teaches people how to make custom gifts for their Instagram. And so that's it. It's like taking complicated topics that, and here's a whole nother layer to this that I'm going to bring here. These, these technologies that we're using email marketing was invented by men in the seventies. It was invented by men for men. And the terminology that's used in email marketing, we don't think about this, but the terminology that's used in email marketing are all, and marketing and business in general are all war words. Like blast, blast your email list, activate the campaign. Call to action. Call to action. Even strategy itself as a word, like goes back to military. And it's it's just filled with these words. And so... I don't think we realize it like on a surface level, but we, as you know, women identifying folks, like we, we, you know, come into these softwares, we come into these spaces and they still have all of those things and we may not even realize it, but it's like, we're in foreign territory in terms of like the majority of the history of the world. And so that's why I have this cute slogan that the future is female. It's not female as in the word female, it's F and then email, right? Because it's not, it's not actually tied to gender necessarily or gender identity, but it is tied to this idea that anybody who identifies as a woman, like was not using these tools like back in the sixties and seventies, or they were just getting introduced to them and they've primarily been built by men, white men at that. So that's an interesting thing, right? Right. But they also have like to understand is like, you know, women speak their own language and men speak their own language. And we're at a time where we're trying to figure out how to communicate with each other in these respective foreign languages where people aren't really realizing that, you know, we could be talking about the same thing, but somehow it's getting lost in translation. And it's like, I'm kind of obsessed with like words and figuring that all out. I'm like, how can we like communicate with each other? So we know we're on the same page, but yet we're not speaking each other's same language. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think that we're going to see like a revolution of more and more women stepping into technology roles. Like I know there's this big push for like women in STEM and that's great. And there's all kinds of government programs and, and whatnot, but specifically in marketing and digital marketing, the, the thing that we don't always realize is that it's something like 80% of consumers identify as women. And so doesn't it make sense that we can put ourselves the most in the shoes of people who are going to be the main consumers? It's like women are the ones making the household decisions for like what groceries are bought, what subscription services are purchased. Like regardless of who has the funds, that woman in the household is often the gatekeeper for like who, who actually does that. And that's just the statistics. And so we make incredible marketers because we know what our own pain points are, right? Mm-hmm. Like not to be like, you know, stereotypical, but like at the end of the day, it's like, I know which mascaras are clumpy and like what it feels like <laughs> to have clumpy mascara. Like I know, <laughs> I know all about deodorant. And yet like for all of this time, it's been, this is why like, I think of like Mad Men, the show mm-hmm. Mad Men, if anybody's ever watched that. It's the same idea. It's like you have a bunch of older dudes sitting in a room trying to figure out how to sell lipstick and it's just, it's just not going to work. So we have that, that intuition and we can combine that with our technology skills and we're just going to take over the world. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said about like experience, like going through it and understanding it and learning what all the different things are to be able to communicate that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a powerful, education is powerful. Education in any form. We talk about education and we, we think we mean like going to middle school and high school and all of that, but education around anything, whether it be technology, email, how to start a podcast, Mm -hmm. what type of microphone to have. I mean, those are empowering things that help transform our lives. And so when we build this barrier between us and that and say, I can't do it, we're doing ourselves a disservice. And we're also doing others a disservice because we're not opening that 
that portal, that gateway for other people to be able to go and do it. Like I'm able to empower people every day that I'm out there to like start their newsletter, to create a sales sequence that's going to get them more money in their business. And then they're able to buy more groceries. And I think that's why so many of us start side projects and businesses is because just that we want to have a transformative effect on other people's lives. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was someone who has been podcasting since the beginning with podcasting. Well, maybe not since the beginning, but more when I was starting on the uptick. And she had this course that was just really simple, laid out, <laughs> told me what I needed to purchase, what were my options were. And I'm like, okay, good. It's worth, I think I paid hundred bucks for it. I don't know. It was worth a hundred bucks just to do that because it took all of that research away. And, you know, being, a former attorney and all of that, like researching, I know how convoluted it can get in and how lost you can get into it. It's kind of like, just give me three options and like the basics of what they are, which maybe your recommendation would be, and then I'll go with it. I don't want to be taking hours and hours and hours of researching and trying to figure it out on my own just yeah. to get it done. There's just value in somebody else showing you the roadmap, showing you where they hit their mistakes. And, you know, with email, I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I used to have the mindset uh, that everything is Googleable, right? And that is so true, but I'm sure you can appreciate this given your background. Yes and no. Like, yes, you can Google a lot of stuff about your business. However, there's also a lot of people on those forms and anybody can set up a blog and all it takes is one person with one bad recommendation and one bad piece of advice to send you down the wrong path. Like I see this all the time with email marketing. Email marketing has a lot of laws tied to it. There's all these scary mm -hmm. acronyms like GDPR and, you know, Castle for Canadians and all over the world, every country sort of has its own anti-spam laws and data privacy laws, and you need to respect those. And I can't give people legal counsel, but I can point them in the right direction to say, okay, you know, here's how you avoid the potholes and get all the right resources and get the right lawyer, the right attorney, whatever, to write things for you where you're going to avoid getting yourself in some trouble. You know, I, I see people give advice on Facebook groups that are say things like, oh, just hide your unsubscribe link by making it white on white, you know, white text on white background or things like that. And I, I cringe. And then I remember that in business, there's a point at which sometimes like in the, in the case where you bought the podcasting course, you do have to go from free to fee. And so that's been a big mindset shift for me lately because I really used to believe that I could figure it out all by myself on Google and I can, but it's just going to take me the rest of my life and I'm not going to make progress. So there you invest in somebody else to give you the roadmap to success and then you're, you're on, you're on the way. Mm -hmm. Well, that's also a little bit about like delegation that people don't really realize. It's not necessarily you're delegating it to someone else. You're just paying for someone who already did all the research, which is delegation and they're giving you the information. That's true. So, I mean, I kind of like think of it as like as attorneys, like in your business, you should do as much as possible in the back end of the beginning to get started to make sure you're legally okay and start building off on there otherwise you'll run into a lot of trouble like you could build a brand but not realize someone has it trademarked and then it's going to be you have to do all of this rebranding and re all put more money into it versus if you would have done a simple like trademark search it's not that intimidating to look at the trade art trade art trademark website to get that to look at it and see and then realize and build off of there so little branding piece on there. <laughs> um, let's back it up a bit. So you said that you were at Target and you were miserable. Can you walk people through what the buildup was for you to finally realize and take steps to shift versus staying stuck in that misery? Mm, well, I started working for Target actually back in 2015. I was an intern. And even as an intern, I was working 
as many hours as I could as an intern, taking a full-time course load. And I was a full scholarship student in college. And so I was doing those things to, you know, have sandwich meat, right? So I was working really, really hard. I was to the max, but I already intuitively knew that Target was not going to be the right fit for me. And I was already sort of going in kicking and screaming because I was doing like a store leadership role. And at 21, 22, I was running a store, right? We all see like running retail stores on TV and we think it's like one way, but having, being in charge of that many people at that age and having keys to the building and opening it in the morning and closing it at night. I mean, the things that I could, I could tell so many stories, horror stories about being a retail manager. And so the way that I got stuck, so to speak, is like, I already knew that it wasn't going to fit me, but I also, I'm very woo woo and I'm very spiritual. I feel that I was put in that position and went through all of those terrible things. Like everything from angry customers to dealing with really difficult situations like, you know, uh, having employees who are in violent situations or having to fire somebody who is three times my age, like all of those types of things. I know I was put in those situations because they were growing me as, as a person and as a human. I don't know where the resistance kind of showed up. I was applying to jobs non stop. I mean, I perfected my resume. I had phone interviews in my car in the Target parking lot. I would make some stupid excuse as to why I had to step away because I was working 10 to 12 hour days. So trying to find a time to be with somebody on the phone, let alone go schedule an interview, I'd either take a vacation day or again, go to my car and have this phone interview. I, it wasn't for lack of trying, but I felt so stuck. I felt so angry. And I remember I had an hour long commute, which did not help with my mental health of adjusting to this job that was already so intense. I was working weekends and they don't, I mean, I love Target. We all love shopping there, but unfortunately, at least at the time that I worked there, they weren't very thoughtful about the well-being of their leaders. They're like, we pay you money just do your job. I was number 6670-6862 and nothing more to them, which is just the truth. And so I would get stuck on the highway behind target trucks that were moving inventory, right? With the big red bullseye. And I would just sit there and like with the steering wheel and just like want to bang my head against it and be like, why are you doing this to me universe? Like, why am I so stuck? And so it really was building, like I said, my side business and getting that email marketing experience that everything just aligned and I finally got my new job. And now I have boundaries and I work nine to five. But, you know, I was really blaming myself at the time. I was like, what's wrong with me that I can't get another job? But at the end of the day, that was my first job out of college and I didn't have a lot of experience to transfer into another role yet. I had to build that experience for myself. Nobody was going to hire me just because I went to a specific college. And that was the lesson I had to learn. Mm. That's a lesson a lot of people have to learn and not realize. Like you don't just go to college and then automatically get the job afterwards because you got the diploma. You need to show some sort of experience. And then also use the words on their advertisement for the job in your resume somehow to make it short like someone to look at you otherwise it'll go out the wayside yeah the way that I actually got my new job I did say that you know it's because I had experience with email marketing but mm -hmm. I know the moment that I got that job and I know this for sure for certain because my boss has since told me that this was the moment I had the opportunity to go to the location to when uh, the the headquarters office. And what they asked me is to teach something for 20 minutes as if I was teaching to a class of adult learners. And I said, okay, I'm going to teach them how to use LinkedIn because all I've been doing is pounding pavement on optimizing my LinkedIn profile and my resume and all of this stuff for the last two years because I felt so stuck. I'm going to spend 20 minutes and teach them how to, you know, update their LinkedIn. And I went all in low. Like I went all in and I think that was what changed it for me. Like when I say I went all in, I mean 
I spent, I did not have a lot of money at that time, even though Target was paying me well, like I was paying for, you know, fast food and like all these things just to try to keep myself afloat 80 hours a week. I think I spent $200 printing backup copies of my slides. I bought a subscription to Screencast, I think it was, so that I could in, like embed videos into my presentation. Like I left no stone unturned. I said there was no way that I was getting out of that room with 20 minutes in front of them that I wasn't going to get that job. I had three people who were evaluating me. One was my current boss. He's the director of education at my company. I had the chief community officer, and then I had the senior manor, manager of education. And they were like, that is our new trainer. No two ways about it. And my current boss, the one who was watching me, still had to advocate for me and say, look, she might not know everything about email marketing and email automation yet, but I can tell that she has what it takes to command a room, to teach a room, and I can tell that she will take the time to learn everything she needs to know. And because he advocated for me and he saw that potential in me, like, that's what changed it all, right? They could have said, no, she needs a master's degree and she needs this and she needs that. But I arrived with so much certainty and so much confidence that it, that's what changed it all for me. And my life has been better ever since. I, like, I really do, I can say now with genuine, just being genuine in my heart that I love my job and I love my life and my balance so much better. And that's made my business better. I couldn't start a business before I was burnt out. Even if I had the dream in my head, you can't start a business when you're already working 80 hours a week chained to a desk or in my case, a store. It's just not possible. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to be said about like changing your environment and switching it up. So you're not burnt out and finding a way to get unstuck from that situation. But I want to talk about the confidence thing where you walked in, like you owned it. There was no way you were going to leave without getting that job. Did, what was the work you did beforehand or was it just a decision like it's do or die? I think I knew that this was the perfect role for me. And I knew that my job was to convince them of that. And it just, it went down to nailing those details. I mean, right down to those backup presentations that I gave each of them, because I'm already thinking about every way that this could fail, not in a negative way, but actually in a positive way of, well, what if the projector or the TV doesn't work in the room that I'm in? I'm still going to show up and I'm still going to perform. But right down to the detail of those fo the folder that I put those present presentation materials in were the company colors. They were bright orange. And they noticed those kinds of things, right? The, we always say, like when you're, you know, older folks or whoever, they'll be like, it's all in the details of the interview. No, no really. Like I paid attention to every detail and I made sure that every possibility of what could go wrong, I had managed the the answer to that so that I could completely focus on standing up straight, speaking clearly, answering their questions, and just being really present. And honestly, also having the genuine intention of if I can actually teach them something that improves their LinkedIn profile as a professional, even though I'm supposed to be pretending and role-playing, I'm actually going to try to teach them something new so that they are having a positive experience, not just watching me role-play. And they actually did. They said, oh, wow, I didn't know you could do that. I'm going to go update my LinkedIn profile. And that was the exact result that I was looking for. So, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that day. And honestly, my boss never forgets that day. And that, that means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that was the moment. I just hadn't had that opportunity. I could barely get through on the phone to anybody, let alone get an in-person interview. And so that was, that was what was in some ways blocking me from moving to the next step. Isn't it interesting how like those opportunities fall in your lap that you don't realize where to come from? Like you could plan be like, it has to be here. It has to be here, but then it doesn't show up that way. No, I was so frustrated. Like I was so mad at the world and the universe and I thought I was being punished. And, <laughs> you know, all my friends that I went to college with, I went to Skidmore, which is in upstate New York. And I mean, just the honest truth is that it costs almost this is crazy. It's like almost $60,000 a year to go there. And I was comparing myself to people who quite frankly, just have 
all of the connect all of the connections and all of the money that they could need and quite frankly a lot of nepotism and i'm not i'm not judging them in that sense but it's like oh my brother already works for like you know universal and so i'm going to go work at universal or like my dad is already the owner of the consultancy firm so i'm going to go do that or like my mom works for good morning america so i'm going to be the intern for good morning america and they're going to make sure that nobody does anything bad to me and that i have a good experience there's like a lot a lot of that and I think there was a time when I turned that into kind of like jealousy and like, why am I the poor kid who's working all the time? And when I could have been doing, you know, an unpaid internship because I had plenty of funds and building my skills, like I was just trying to pay my bills by like literally frying chicken nuggets in like the college cafe. I think it felt really unfair. And especially being at a school where, again, the majority of people are paying full price to be at a private school, I, I was really angry. And I almost feel like the transformation didn't come until I was like able to just kind of let go of some of that anger. And maybe in some way that was what was blocking me from getting out of it. It was like I was sitting in like being ungrateful, being mad, instead of sitting in gratitude and sitting in how can I make it work? And so finally, I probably just got tired of myself. And that was when everything started to change. Mm. That's interesting. Because a lot of people always want to know what the, like the steps are to get out of feeling unstuck. Or they ask me different questions. And I go, I just decided. Yeah. <laughs> One day, I just got fed up and decided and was like, never again. Peace. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> but with the like the frustration at the universe which i find hilarious because i have been there many times where i'm like kind of like what the fuck come on <laughs> like i am doing all of the things all of the woo things and manifestation the saging the all of this and i'm still i'm still stuck what the hell is going on universe it's like what more do you want from me so in those moments did you do anything besides sounding it sounds like besides being like i'm done let's shift let's let go of all this anger resentment jealousy that's built up over time yeah i i mean i do love crystals and some good sage and a good gratitude journal and all of that but i mean there were times when i really did just cry and feel frustrated and not do anything productive which i think is important for people to hear like it's so easy to look at somebody like i have people who look at me now and they're like you love your job and you love your business and like you're so alive and on fire and i'm miserable and i'm like i feel that you were there and you don't have to beat yourself up just because like you're having a lot of bad days I'm almost grateful that I sat there in that discomfort and that misery because on the other side of things, I appreciate them so much more deeply. Like right now we're in the middle of like a pandemic and my 401k is cut off and we have a hiring freeze and you know, we're, we're like afraid of what is going to happen at the future of my corporate job. And yet I'm like, this is the greatest, I'm still the happiest person in the world. And I don't care if they cut off my 401k because I love what I do and they could do almost anything and I'd still be happy. So uh, to go back to the original question, which is, you know, how do you then work through it when you are having productive moments? I, I think it's about taking a step back and asking yourself better questions. I was asking questions like, when will I ever get out of here? And why is the universe punishing me? And why is it that I have to work in a retail job where I'm literally cleaning up like kids vomit? I'm getting paid, you know, $60,000 a year, but at the end of the day, I scrub toilets and clean up vomit and have people scream at me and accuse me of doing things. And at night I have to lock the building by myself and like look for intruders. And like, I hate everything about this job and I feel vile. That's the wrong way. The right way was to say, okay, yep, this sucks. This sucks a lot. I hate this job. How can I be the best manager there ever was? How can I say, how can I have boundaries? So one of the big things that changed for me, I mentioned that I had an hour long commute. I was absorbing the blows of that and not really making a big deal about how uncomfortable and difficult that was for me. And so I just kept 
kind of poking at the subject. I'm not a very assertive person. I'm very likely to just take take things as people give them to me. I, I know that's a common thing for women and humans in general. I'm just like, can take it, take it, take it. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Yep, I'll do it. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I finally transferred to a store that was a 15-minute commute for me that was really my local Target store. And that right there took what, 10 hours out of my week in some cases, especially with traffic. And I started to shift. And again, I asked that question, like, how can I be the best manager that Target has ever seen? And I started doing things like, um, you know, there's like 35 tasks that you have to do every single day as a Target manager. I mean, there's just like things that you don't think of. There's alarm codes, there's keys, there's cash, there's, you know, Um, making sure that people take their lunch. I'm managing a team of almost 200 people in some cases, almost 300, depending on the store. So I made the most beautiful, epic checklist, right? Like I graphic designed this checklist and I made it this really fun checklist and everybody thought it was so cool that they wanted a copy. And suddenly everybody had a copy of LJ's, which is where I got my nickname, by the way, from Target. Everybody had a copy of LJ's checklist. And I started to get seen instead of a miserable person who's just crying and upset all the time. I started to be seen as the person who is innovating and improving things. And what actually happened is I got an offer to move to target corporate and actually work on their human resources team, which was more in line with what I wanted to do. Now, the funny part of that is I ended up turning them down and taking my current job because I was getting some toxic vibes from target corporate just as much as I was from target stores. But it's just interesting to note that when I just started asking better questions of how can I make this better? How can I still make it good even though it sucks? How can I make processes easier? Everybody else saw that change in me. They respected it. And then they wanted to move me to somewhere else in the company. And I could have taken that opportunity as well. Isn't that interesting? Like how a change in perspective is really what needs to happen for most people instead of being in the stuck and like, how can I show up better? I mean, there's been like, the person who comes to mind is Lewis Howes. He was talking about like, how can I be the best intern and go get their coffee, but the most fabulous way ever. And to be able to grow that, grow up in, words are easy today, guys. Happy Friday for me. but able to like climb up the ladder because they're doing those things. They're making it fun because no one wants to be miserable all the time, even when, when they are, but there's also something to be said to acknowledge, like you acknowledge yourself saying like, this job sucks. I don't like this job, but how can I make the best of it? So it's taking like ownership of that fact to be able to move forward. And I see a lot of people who aren't taking, they're afraid to take ownership of the shitty things that happen the crappy things that go on because they're afraid that it's going to keep manifesting over and over again. A prime example for myself was learning to navigate my own emotions. One day I was just angry and I could feel like I was angry, but I was trying to do all of the things to switch my vibration, be happy. And then I came to a moment where I was just like, you know what? I just want to be angry. I want to be angry. And then it was just like everything lifted and I felt better in that moment of just deciding on like, I'm angry. But then I wasn't really angry anymore because I acknowledged the fact that I was angry instead of trying to shift out of it and stuff it. Yeah. Giving yourself permission to feel your feelings. Sometimes it's just justified to feel angry and mad as hell. Like there was a night that um, I was told that the freezer was broken. It's like the most random thing in the world. But the thing about freezers and fridges breaking, if that's what we're going to talk about, (laughs) Mm -hmm. is that the people who fix refrigerators and freezers are like far and few between. And you have to realize that when you have like, just picture 10,000 cups of Chobani, that's actually really expensive. So it was specifically the dairy cooler that had gone down in the store and it was 8 p.m. at night on a Saturday Um, and I was the closing manager I had to lock everything up but you can't leave if something is broken it turns the alarms on and then corporate calls you and they told me that the person who was going to fix it was a, a minimum of a four hour drive away which means that I needed to stay at the store 
in order to resolve the issue and wait for the technician. The problem is, is that on Saturday night is when the payroll resets at Target, or at least at the time I was there, that's how it worked. The people who were with me, the team members, I'm salaried. They can do whatever the heck they want with me. The team members are hourly. And in New York State, which is where I worked at the time, they can only work up to 40 hours. And then, of course, after that, you have to pay them overtime. Target has a strict no overtime policy for their workers. They really don't want to do that. And I asked them if they would make an exception to have somebody stay with me so that I didn't have to be in the building alone. You have to realize there's millions of dollars worth of product. I mean, all the televisions and the Google Chromes and the iWatches and the iPad, like there's a lot of stuff in a store. And so for context, people can't see me on the podcast. I'm a five foot one blonde girl and I don't have a lot of muscle mass. So staying in a store by myself with all that stuff in there didn't feel safe. And so I said, would you make an exception and pay somebody overtime? P.S. They make like 11 or $12 an hour. So time and a half on that is really not a big deal when, you know, it's Target. They said no. They gave, they said no, and they told me that I had to stay in the store by myself. So I passcoded myself in. And to make a really long story short, I sat in this Target alone in the middle of like a city where I felt like very, very vulnerable. And the worst part was like, as if it couldn't get any worse. I was like in tears. I was drained. I sent the employees home because I couldn't let them stay, even though they wanted to, because they saw how upset I was. The, uh, it was the middle of the winter and the heat turns off in the store at night to conserve energy. So I was also freezing to death for like three or four hours. So I was sitting in my winter coat crying inside of this Target alone, scared to death that somebody was going to come in. And I had to receive the contractor who actually was going to fix the, the freezer or the cooler. And, you know, of course he was like this Russian guy with no ID who like knocks on the door and is like, I fixed your cooler. And I had to trust him and let him in. And I kid you not, Lo, this is actually what I said, because this is my true personality. I looked at him dead in the eyes and I said, sir, I've had a really bad day and I need you not to murder me. Can you just fix the cooler? And he was like, oh, no, you don't worry. I, I'm bad at doing a Russian accent, but he basically told me not to worry. And he assured me that once he fixed the cooler, he would walk me back out to my car. So that's how that story ended. But that's a moment were feeling upset and angry, I think was really justified because my human existence and my fear and my anxiety was not prioritized over money and that's not okay. And so sometimes you just have to say, yep, I'm angry and I'm going to feel it. And this is unjust and that's it. You're not going to like, no amount of sage was going to make that situation better. I could have had a million crystals in my bra and that night would not have been any better. So mm -hmm to know that it's okay to be freaking upset when somebody ignores your humanity is okay too. Or if you're just having a bad day anyway. It just happens. You roll over on the wrong side of the bed before you get up and it's just downhill from there. It's, it's part <laughs> of being human. I think everyone forgets that we're human. We're not this perfect person. Yes, there are, are different creeds or like higher self or future self, better self, whatever people identify with that you're working towards. But that doesn't mean if you get there, everything will be bubblegum and rainbows. You don't lose your humanity because you're working towards being your better self. Couldn't have said it better myself. So before we get into the final questions, you mentioned boundaries quite a few times. And for the audience, can you walk them through how you started implementing your own boundaries? Mm, that's such a good question because like I sort of hinted at, I really struggled with boundaries for a long time. I identify as an empath, which for those, I'm sure many listeners know what that means, but the way I think of it is you really absorb other people's emotions and you feel other people's feelings. So being the executive team leader for guest experience at Target, I know very fancy title. My title <laughs> might as well, might as well have been like head get yelled at person was the worst possible position for me because what I would do is when people had complaints, they came straight to me. As a manager, that was like my primary role. If somebody was upset about anything from a 50, 50 cent coupon all the way up to like a baby item hurt their child, right? That whole spectrum. 
I was the one who received the anger. And the problem with me absorbing people's emotions, whether that be a customer, they call them guests, one of my colleagues who's asking me to do something that's outside of my comfort, I just like absorbed their emotions. And that's how I got to that low, low place all the time because I would come home from a 10 hour shift and be carrying the anger, the resentment, uh, the debossiness, the masculine energy of like 15 or 30 people. And I'd be like shaking. So at some point, and this is why I feel that this role was a gift for me, I started practicing different techniques. One of them is like a break and cut meditation that really helped me. So you don't have to do anything special. You can go on YouTube and you can just kind of look in like break and cut. And that would be this experience of visualizing actually like a cord that would connect me to whoever I felt was disrupting my energy and like physically visualizing myself physically cutting that cord and that connection and that would help me just like free that energy and and doing things like that and then it got to the point where I was able to kind of practice that in person with people so I'd have somebody who's very very angry at me and I'd be able to say you know what this person is not actually angry at me their anger does not belong to me instead I'm going to like create this light wall between me and this person is woo woo as that sounds it really did work for me to visualize that i'd neutralize that energy and then solve their problem and then that kind of leaked over into when somebody's asking me to do something very forcefully that i don't feel like doing that same thing it's like you kind of visualize and you neutralize it and then you practice saying things like what would work better for me is or i don't feel comfortable because and starting to advocate for yourself, there's no other better way to do it than to practice. It's going to feel uncomfortable and weird, and you're going to feel like maybe a bad person at first. And then you're going to realize that whatever fear is in your head about what's going to happen if you have a boundary with that person isn't going to happen. I'm over here thinking, I'm going to get fired, and everybody's going to think I'm the difficult manager, and none of that actually happened. In fact, it commanded more respect for me and made me a better leader and so we have to get out of our own our own way to rebalance that so those are some like tactical tips that somebody who struggled like i did can use and those skills and those techniques still help me to this day in my business and in every other way Mm -hmm. i normally like some sort of like body like crossing like the physical thing to be like no i think like gabby bernstein she said like once you take your pointer finger and then your thumb and you like make a circle and then you take the other one pointer finger and thumb and like loop it together and that could be the same way of closing blocking that energy so like no one really knows what you're doing you could have your hands together like this like together and you're like cutting that off so that way that's the physical manifestation so they don't um know or think it's like weird I like woo-woo stuff. Um, one of the things I noticed like with the boundaries is when I say like I'm not available for mm-hmm. this type of energy and being like strong about that. It's also very challenging when people who are used to crossing that boundary who are like, wait, they actually are enforcing this. Now what do I do? So then again, it brings up their own like anger. You start to feel guilty, feeling like you're doing something wrong, but it's also to remind yourself like, no. I need to take care of myself as a human and I'm no longer available for it. Otherwise I'm just talking and not walking my walk. Yeah. It reminds me of this uh, Buddha story. I believe it is that just gave me chills and just perfectly puts the bow on what we're both talking about. It basically was this man who was very angry and was harassing the Buddha and saying like all these hateful things day after day and the buddha would just stand there and kind of stare at him and look at him and then finally after several days of being harassed and yelled at and threatened the the man finally said like what like what are you doing like are you what are you gonna do and the buddha just stares at him and like talks for the first time and says if a man gives you a gift and you refuse it who does that gift belong to and the man goes that's such a stupid question of course if you don't accept my gift it still belongs to me and he goes then if i don't accept your anger and your hate then to whom does it belong and like that that Mm -hmm. just 
that just really put a bow on my perspective, but also continue to shift my perspective to remember exactly what you said is that when you cut off those energies and you're no longer available for them, remembering that it actually belongs to that person and they're actually the ones suffering, right? Not you. Mm -hmm. And then like on the flip side, so like if I'm frustrated or have to go talk to a manager or some sort of community service, customer service, I'm always like, I go to them because I'm very conscious that they're also human, that they have millions of people come to them every day, just like you illustrated earlier. And I'm always like, I'm not frustrated with you. I am frustrated with like the system or the process or something like that. So can you just help me like through it? And I've noticed every time it's defused whatever angst they've had, because I'm like, I'm acknowledging that you get shit thrown at you every day. I'm not throwing it at you. I'm throwing it at the system that I think is really dumb and I'm frustrated at it right now. And I want a solution. How do we get there? It'll work every time. And the thing that I learned, and I know that we're really going deep on this, but I love it, is the angriest people, like I really, I had people who would, no exaggeration, either on the phone or in person, like scream at the top of their lungs at me, just say hateful things, say, you're an idiot. I want to talk to your, your manager. I, I hope your manager is a man. I mean, like all of these terrible things. Um, but what I'd always find out because I'm a, I'm a good, I'm good at like grounding and diffusing situations, which I can tell is a gift of yours as well. Once I would get them to that plane where we understand each other and I say, hey, my job here is to solve your problem. So just tell me what your problem is and I'll do whatever I can to fix it. That's the moment that the truth always came out. And the truth was always something deeply hurtful. You're not really mad about that bedspread. That bedspread that you didn't get the 25% off on belongs to your daughter who has cancer and you're redoing her room. Or you know, you're going through a divorce right now and that's why you're really stressed about the price on this grocery item because you're afraid you're not going to be able to afford groceries in the future. Like there was always a deeper story as to why that person's anger was coming out. And so once I also learned and understood that, I realized that it truly wasn't about me and that that person was hurting and it's the only reason they would react like that. Mm -hmm. It's because a lot of people don't actually, like we said earlier, acknowledging what they're feeling and they just stuff it and then it just manifests in whatever release valve they have at the moment, which is unfortunate, but it's also a reality of people becoming aware of how much their emotions are driving the bus and how much they do have to address them. Otherwise, if they stuff them, it just becomes an explosive situation that no one really wants to deal with. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, let's get into the final questions. So where can everyone find you? Mm, you can find me at ohelj.com. We'll put that in the notes so that people can find it and spell it. One of my favorite platforms to hang out on is Instagram. I would say that's my little community. That's at ohelj. And, um, you know, my email list is probably the best place that would be obvious to hear from me and know what I'm working on, what I'm creating. I'm always creating something good and I really strive to make it an inclusive, approachable offer, whatever it is, be it free, paid, where folks can come in and feel embraced in learning technology, learning email marketing, learning whatever it is. So I can't wait to connect with folks who are listening. Mm -hmm. What is a book resource podcast that has added value to your life that you'd share with the audience? Mm, that's probably the hardest question you've asked me the whole time because I just am obsessed with books and podcasts and resources. But I know this is how we met. I would say Tony Robbins has been one of my biggest inspirations on all the things that we talked about, mindset, like boundaries, business, he's really got it all. And if I had to identify one resource that I've enjoyed most, it's his book, um, Awaken the Giant Within. And like, that's something that's approachable for everybody. Like, yes, you should go to the events. Yes, you should invest in the programs, but 
everybody can find $15 for the book or they can request it at their local library or they can download it on Audible or one of the you know free softwares. That book has really changed for me the questions that I ask myself and how I show up every day. And so that would be my most profound resource to share. Love it. I haven't read that book yet. I have it. Haven't read it yet. I'm one of those people who have like 15 books, more than 15 books that they haven't read, but yet still buy books. Same, same. Just, I did read that one, but the rest are still sitting. Don't you worry. I'm, I'm human. I think, well, for me, I figure like I want it for some reason. It's calling to me for some reason. Maybe I'm not ready for whatever it's meant to teach me in this moment. And that's okay. Cause I've had books for years and I finally read it. I'm like, Oh, this is why I had to wait this long to read it or was ready to be able to read it. Otherwise I wouldn't have gotten out of it what I just did now. That's so real. We could have a whole other podcast episode where we talk about this concept, which you are describing, which I call intuitive procrastination. (laughs) Then you're actually following the signs and signals of the universe by not doing that thing you think you should be doing. And that the whole time it was in alignment not to do it. You you hit the nail on the head. What do you call that? Intuitive procrastination. All right. Good to know. I've never heard that before, but I made I, it I'm up. Going to, okay, I'm going to borrow it and I will definitely tag you in it as being the founder of it. Because, you know, law school and journalism, we're wired in to giving those resources and being like, I did not actually say this. So please do not crucify me. All right. What would you say has been your bravest moment so far? Wow. There's been a lot of moments in my life that have been brave, but I think to unpack a whole nother part of my story and journey and to keep it brief, uh, the moment that I left home when I was a kid and I went to my first private school, it was actually a children's home, was probably the bravest moment of my life that set everything else into a chain reaction. So my family life was not stable. That's what put me on the path of wanting to get an education, which is probably why I'm inspired to educate people today. And to summarize the cliff notes of that journey, leaving home, even though that was very scary, I was about eight or nine years old. So it it felt like a big move. I went to the children's home that catapulted me into going to a private high school, which catapulted me into a full scholarship to college, which landed me at target, became the life coach, which catapulted me into what I'm doing currently. So I had this whole catalyst reaction of that one scary decision. And I, I do believe that if I hadn't taken that step, I would not be where I am today. I would still be in my hometown and I, I just don't think that I'd have the awake, alive and vibrant life that I have now. Um, and so I feel very passionate about children's homes, foster care, all of that, um, because I, I believe that every, every kid and even every adult is just one caring person away from fulfilling their, their potential. And so I get to play that role now. I go back to that children's home. I like to volunteer with the expertise that I have. I like to share with small business owners and, and, and people because to put a bow on it, entrepreneurship is the ultimate equalizer. It is something that you can take zero and turn it into something. And that, that is like really the story arc of my whole life is taking nothing and turning it into something. And that's really all business or creation is. So that's my moment. Mm. Yeah. We'll definitely have to do another podcast about all of the other things. (laughs) (laughs) This is just the warm up, guys. (laughs) And for the final question, what is your definition of brave? Hmm. My definition of brave is being willing, being hungry to show up as your best possible self every day, stepping into discomfort, discovering the areas where you have blocks and just going all out, whether that's feeling angry, 
or, you know, showing up for the job interview, like just going all out into that day, that moment, that feeling, that's what bravery is. It's not just, it's just not that simple. It's, it's about scheduling in moments of courage and signing up for the damn thing and starting the darn podcast and writing the damn book. That's what it is. Mm, I love it. Well, LJ, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Built Brave. If you love this episode, heck, if you like this episode, please head on over, give it a rate, review, subscribe, like, shout it out on your social media with your major takeaways and what you loved about the episode. And as always, tag me in that at Low Wentworth because I love hearing what you guys got out of the episodes. And until next time, remember... You've always been brave.